0: This is Beth Butler and thank you for listening to From the Ground Up, where we chat with people in and around the real estate industry. I have been in the real estate business for 35 years and much of my experience has been about building the business from the ground up. And I'm pleased to share some of the people who I've met along the way and who have helped me build in this podcast. Today on From the Ground Up, we have Craig Studnicki. He's going to talk to us about his latest Miami report and the new development landscape. As the principal and owner of International Sales Group, Craig brings a wealth of expertise in sales training and management to related ISG International Realty. His primary responsibilities entail day-to-day operations, agent communications, and the implementations of new programs. His focus is on the growth of the company by a recruitment, training, and retention of sales associates. As a real estate broker for more than 25 years, Craig began his career in New York City as a sales associate in a residential real estate for JPS Associates. In 1984, the New Jersey native founded Stephen Craig Realty in Atlantic City, Shortly after a referendum was passed to accommodate the interest in real estate in the flourishing area, his firm became Atlantic City's leader in real estate, covering two-thirds of the market. In 1992, Studnicki relocated to Florida to work as director of sales for Country Club Estates in Aventura from 1992 to 1994. He subsequently co-founded International Sales Group, and under his leadership, ISG maintains the area's top-producing sales force. Due to his keen ability to communicate with training and sales staff, coupled with his excellent customer service relationships with developers, the company has posted record real estate sales over all of these years. Greg is also an avid golfer and can be found playing and working on the links with clients. He's a licensed real estate broker in New Jersey and Florida, and holds a degree from Virginia Tech. Go Hokies! His greatest accomplishment are his two children, Stephen and Alexandra. Welcome to From the Ground Up, Craig Studnicki, who I understand is podcasting from the penthouse at Brickell City Center. Welcome, Craig.
1: Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Beth. And now it's no longer just my two children that are my proud achievements. I have... Most two children have produced five grandchildren. Grandparenting is the best. It's, it is. It's, it's very rewarding. Very, very rewarding. Where are your kids, Craig? They're in Long Island. Um, my, my daughter is in Port Washington, and my my uh, son's in uh, Manhattan. Um, and, you know, I, I don't get a chance to see them much because of Corona. Um, I got to see them at the end of May when things were kind of settled down. But then as you know, Florida replaced New York as the epicenter of this coronavirus temporarily. So in order for me to go visit them, I had to stay there for two weeks. And that's kind of hard to do in the dynamic real estate game that you and I are in, Beth. So I oh, I can't see them very much. But thank goodness for FaceTime, right? You got it. No, FaceTime <laughs> cures a lot of that. And I have been, and, and yeah, and, and it's just amazing. In the modern world, it's hard, but it's not as hard as it was years ago when you didn't have that. So, it's all good. It's all good.
0: Okay, so Craig, and to dive into the questions, let's go back. Sure. How did you How did you get into real estate? I had finished college
1: in uh, 1978, and a cousin of mine that owned a company called JPS Associates, that you referenced in this in my intro, owned a sales and marketing company for real estate developers and real estate investment trusts. He was working in Washington, D.C. and New York City. I'm a New Jersey boy. So my dad um, suggested that I pair up with my my cousin. My cousin's 20 years my senior. So I went to New York, and I never, ever, ever wanted to get into real estate. Because I had always envisioned that as a a business where you, you buy a big Cadillac and you drive a bunch of people around a suburban neighborhood to look at houses. I never, I had no idea what real estate really was. And I went to New York and I saw what he was doing. And I said, I think I'd like to do this. And he put, he said, get your real estate license. So I got my real estate license as quickly as I could. I started selling condos in, uh, and actually in Queens. Um, I had to start there before they would graduate me in Manhattan and um, The real estate market was very, very active in 78 and 79. So call it right place, right time, dumb luck. I started making a lot of money and uh, never looked back. That's how I got started.
0: That's good. So what led you to start ISG?
1: I, um, I started in, when I was in Atlantic City, I copied the JPS formula. I started my own sales and marketing company for developers called um, Craig Nicole. Those are the middle names of my children. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And then in, uh, well, it's kind of a sad but good story. In the early 90s, I got divorced. And I didn't know what to do with the rest of my life. I was in my late 30s. And uh, a mutual friend of yours and mine, Beth, Jerry Kaufman, Invited me to come down, strongly suggested I come down to Miami. And I met a guy named Tom Daly, who was partners with George Perez from Related for the longest time. And um, I started um, and I went to work for him for a couple of years, saved my money. And Jerry and I started a company called International Sales Group, um, a sales and marketing company for real estate developers. That was now 28 years ago. And uh, Jerry's no longer a part of ISG because he wanted to become a real estate developer, but I stayed loyal to ISG, and here I am. And it's the business I know, and I I like it very much. That's what led me to start all this. A lot of it, so much of it, had to do with my my friend Jerry.
0: That's great. That's great. Now I know when I think of ISG, I think of especially in the new development space, I think of the international connections. I think You built a really strong reputation by developing and cultivating those international connections. How did you do that? I mean, you were in Miami. International is such a part of that. Tell me how you sort of built, tell everybody how you built those international connections.
1: Well, this, this comes from the old cliche, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, we had started the company and we were competing with Egardo de Fortuna's fortune and Alicia Severa's Severa. Alicia, uh, Alicia Severa's Peruvian and Cuban. Guardia de Fortuna's Argentine. Jerry and I are New Yorkers and I suddenly realized in this Latin dominated city we were at a disadvantage. So I suggested to Jerry we start an international department where we hire a multilingual person to prospect for real estate brokers throughout all of Latin America, not just South America. Latin America would include the Caribbean, Mexico, and the entire continent of South America. Now, you'll love this, Beth. This is way before this kind of falls into the wheelhouse of compass. There's no technology in the early 90s. You know, there's no Internet. There's no nothing. So I suggested that this person that we hired simply purchase magazines, high-end society magazines in every major city, in all of the Latin Americas, because you're going to find ads in those magazines of real estate brokers that are selling Miami. And those are the brokers we're going to marry. And that's how I started my network in Latin America, one at a time, country by country, city by city. And in about two years, we had, it took, t- takes time. And you get on planes and you visit these people, you, know, you go through the motions, but we had quite a network. Um, by the by the late nineties, I had an enviable network. I at the risk of of perhaps upsetting Eduardo Di Fortuna or Alicia Severa, my network was bigger than theirs. Uh, for a guy from New Jersey and a guy from New York. That's how we developed it. And then from there, it just kind of grew because that developers were hiring us because we had that. That was our that was our secret that's sauce. Right. That was your thing. That was your thing. Yes. And then the more projects you got, the more attractive we became. And so the network just sort of grew and grew and grew and grew. And that was our that was our thing for the longest time. Yeah, so that's how we started it. Not very complicated,
0: just takes a lot of work. It was that simple thought of looking in the magazines. I mean, I think that's genius. Well, that yeah. it's something so simple, but the kind of thing that very few people really comes to mind. So that's a simple genius that I think is it it contributes to a large part of your success. Well, thanks. Speaking of Latin America, when do we think that those buyers are going to come back to Miami?
1: Well, I was going to say my secret sauce hasn't been such a such a secret sauce in the last couple of years, Uh, because um, in 2016, the U.S. dollar rose significantly against all foreign currencies around the world. So, when that happened, my South American network suddenly wasn't as valuable as it once was, not for ISG, not for anybody And it hasn't been I mean it's been we, we in in my I think this this Miami report, we showed that ten years ago a solid fifty percent of all sales in miami Fort Lauderdale were from South America. Um, in the last 12 months, 10% are from South America. So that's a huge drop-off due to one reason and one reason only, the high dollar. They, the, the Latin American market loves Miami more so than U.S. people. This, I can, As a New Jersey native, I can speak from solid experience. Um, so what's it going to take to get them back? You've got to see the dollar devalue. What's the likelihood that that's going to happen? Pretty good now. This is one of the silver linings I think we're going to experience because of COVID, corona. Um, the U.S. Treasury printed $7 trillion um, added to the U.S. financial system. Um, that's called, the, the Wall Street calls that quantitative easing. It's just a fancy way of saying we print a lot of money. When you print that much money, you devalue the dollar. Um, and the proof of the pudding is in the price of gold. Gold now is over $2,000 an ounce. It has appreciated significantly since March, all in reaction to quantitative easing. When the price of gold goes up, it's usually in anticipation of of a weakening U.S. dollar. So almost all Wall Streeters are predicting a slightly devalued U.S. dollar by the fourth quarter of this year. So... If you think that's a little optimistic, Beth, then let's let's move it. Let's punt it all the way to 2021. In 2021, you'll see the U.S. dollar more than likely devalue by about 10%, um, maybe 15 not much more than that, but it doesn't take much, it doesn't take more than that to move the needle in all of Latin America. And then you'll see the Latins come back to South Florida in uh, very substantial numbers because there's a, huge pent-up demand that's percolating through the Latin Americas. They love to park their money in U.S. real estate, and their city of choice by far is Miami. So what we're simply waiting for now is the reaction of those currencies to the impending devaluation of the U.S. dollar. If, if we didn't have COVID, if, if we hadn't gone through what we just went through with corona and the U.S. reaction to it by printing all those dollars – I don't know when we would have seen a return of the Latin market in, in a substantial way. My late mother used to say there's never a, an ill wind that doesn't blow somebody some good. So this is an example of that, of that expression. So I, I think you absolutely can count on the dollar devaluating. And that's just not going to affect Miami. I know Compass is quite substantial throughout the country now, particularly in New York. So as the U.S. dollar devalues, expect In the city of of New York, international buyers to return. There you're talking more about Europeans and Middle Easterners. Here we're talking about South Americans. But the dollar is the dollar is the dollar. As it devalues around the world,
0: U.S. real estate will benefit from that. Because it goes on sale. Yes. It becomes a great deal.
1: Yes. It becomes affordable. Our assets are simply too expensive right now because the dollar is so
0: damn expensive. You partnered up with Related um, to make Related ISG. Tell us how that came about.
1: Before there was related ISG, there was related Severa Realty Services.
0: Um, in the banking crisis
1: of 08-09, um, George Perez and Alicia Severa decided to park company. Why? I don't know. None of my business. But George nevertheless wanted to keep the general real estate company alive. So he reached out to me. I've known George for a long time. George was you know, very good friends and partners with Tom Daly, the, the man I mentioned earlier. Tom was a probably my my most influential mentor um, and Tom brokered the deal so Tom I became the broker of record the new broker of record of related ISG. we started it I'm guessing now nine years ago and uh, that's how it happened George just wanted to keep it going George I guess liked me likes me and um, he liked my Miami report he liked how we approach things and uh, I've been I've been doing a lot of business with related on and off for 20 years anyway So it was an easy fit,
0: and I kind of enjoy working with him. You mentioned the Miami Report, so 10 years of success. Tell us how you started the report and what motivates you to keep that going.
1: Well, this is kind of of like, how did I start the International Department? Necessity is the mother of invention. Here we go again. So it's 2009, one year after the banking crisis of 08. The New York Times writes an article that says there's 25,000 condo units of standing inventory in Miami, which the Times said that's a 10 year supply. Beth, you sell real estate for a living. I sell real estate for a living. A lot of your agents, they sell real estate for a living. You can't sell without a sense of urgency, right? How do you create a sense of urgency when the New York Times says there's 10 years of of, uh, supply? I said, Jesus, I think I'm gonna have to go out of business. There's no way I can create, motivate my sales team with that kind of news coming out of the out of the New York market about Miami, so then I'm sitting around and I said to my partners and my colleagues, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. We live here. There's no way there's 25,000 condos for sale. That's way too exaggerated." So, I mean, remember, I'm faced with close the business or keep it going. The only way I'm going to keep it going is I got to keep my salespeople motivated. So, Beth, we literally went out. Neighborhood by neighborhood, building by building here in South Florida, from Coconut Grove to the south to Fort Lauderdale to the north. And what we counted after exhaustive research, 11,502 units, not 25,000. So it's less than half of what the Times reported. So we said, we created our first Miami report in September of 2009. And we said, the Times is wrong, which is kind of a bold statement, but we had the, the research to back up why we said they were wrong. I think today they call it fake news, but back then we were just saying they were wrong. And um, we said we thought it would take five years for South Florida to absorb this inventory, and ISG was wrong. All that inventory was gone in two years, gone. So what happened was my sales team asked me to simply do a follow-up. So I did a Miami report in 2010. And then I did a Miami report in 2011. And today, we do them every year. We do an annual report every year. We publish them. We, uh, we do updates every business quarter. And we publish them in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Mandarin. It's turned into a thing that I never expected, ever. All I wanted to do was keep my company alive for 09, 2010, and 2011. And, uh, and now I publish this thing. I share it, as you know, Beth, with the real estate community because, um, you know, I live in this town and I want everybody, I mean, I compete with you, but I consider you a true friend and a deeply respected colleague. And I want you to have the same attitude towards me and everybody that works for ISG. So we share it for that reason. I also know that it helps me brand my company. So even if I'm going up against Beth Butler (laughs) for a listing, um, I don't have the technology and the, 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 the bandwidth of a, of a compass, you've become a substantially big national company. Now, on the other hand, I have this local knowledge with the Miami report. So it helps me brand my company. I hope you understand that's, that's, that's so it helps in that regard.
0: Well, absolutely. And knowing the market is the key to success, right? I mean, it's when you know, the numbers, and no matter if you're selling a single family home, a condo, a building, no matter what you're trying to sell, knowledge of the market is the key to success. I, I'm sure you agree with that.
1: We before we started this this call, you said to me that in Boca Raton, Florida right now, there are every single month there are a hundred more single family home sales than there are new listings. That's kind of right out of that's what our Miami report's all about. So I agree with you completely. There is nothing I have learned in my 40 year career that motivates either buyers or real estate agents like market data. Nothing motivates them more than that. And when they, when they, especially if they believe in it. So if you become a reliable source, you can oxygenate people's blood. So yes, that's what it's
0: all about.
1: That's it. Yeah,
0: thank you. When you were talking about starting the Miami Report, I was remembering back in, it had to be 2000, early 2009, you and I were on a panel. I can't remember who else was on it at this time, but we were, you know, that New York Times article had just come out. And yes. I don't know if it, it was a Miami Herald was moderating it or one of the newspapers, it seems to me, was moderating it. And it was, you know, like this... News, you know that news New York Times article got retransmitted as as a headline in every paper, on every outlet. Mm-hmm. It led every conversation. And my recollection is, you and I were the only two people that thought the inventory was going to be absorbed. Everybody else is like, it's terrible. This is going to be awful. People are going to go out mm-hmm. of business. It's going to be. A and it, well, look, it wasn't fun, but the inventory was absorbed. And like you said, not five years, in two years much faster than anybody ever could have anticipated. So it's just funny you talking about that. It just took me back. Do you remember that panel?
1: I so remember it. I, I so Beth, I remember it like, and you're bringing me right back to those days. And I, I remember saying, um, I thought the stuff would be absorbed within five years. And somebody on the panel looked at me and said, boy, oh boy, I don't know what you're smoking. That's um, exactly right. And it, tur- <laughs> and it turns out I was wrong. Um, And I think the big point is don't ever underestimate the popularity of Miami. This is the smallest big city in the world. Dade County has less than 2.7 million people that live in it. And yet it's got a reputation not as big as New York City, but close. Because you mentioned Miami around the world. People have heard of it. It's just a big, big, big town and very popular with some of the most ridiculous, wonderful weather on the planet. So I guess the lesson I learned is I'm never, ever, ever gonna second guess the popularity of this of this city I live in ever again. And she hasn't
0: disappointed me. No, no. Miami's incredibly resilient. I mean, we, we've you and I've lived through a lot of uh Eventful happenings in Miami, COVID being the latest of of them, and it's always gloom and doom. But somehow Miami always manages to pull through and pull through better than yes. anybody expected. So I, I I never doubt the resiliency of the town that we that we both live in. It's it's pretty amazing. You recently released the summer 2020 edition of the Miami report. What highlights would you like to share? I mean, I read it. It's it's tremendous stuff, and just as a as a note, I want to tell everybody that um, I will put the link to the Miami report in the show notes here, so that people can go and download it. It's worth the cover to cover to read, um, for sure. But Craig, anything you'd like to highlight or point out? Sure, Beth. Thanks.
1: Um, we, I think, I, I did a, a presentation, a, a virtual presentation of this that they recorded here at Brickell City Center a couple of weeks ago, and I told. I told everybody um, that we were, I think we had like a 1,000 people on that podcast. And um, it, was a, it was a video podcast. And I, I said we were going to send this to the printer in early March because March is usually when we print our annual report. But then uh, COVID showed up. And we were, uh, we, we were told to shut down. And I said to everybody in ISG, you know, let's hold off on the printing of the Miami report. Oh, Craig, why? Well, I'll tell you why. I, I, I suspect we're about to hit uncharted territory. And uh, the this virus, I don't know how bad it is, but the news that's coming out of Italy and Spain is not warm and fuzzy. And I don't think we're going to escape it. And I'll tell you what, this virus could reshape all of the conclusions we've made in this Miami report. So let's wait. And frankly, nobody's going to care about our Miami report. They're going to care about what this tsunami that's about to hit the entire country. I mean, I didn't know it was going to affect the world like it did back then. So I'm kind of glad we, <laughs> in hindsight, that we postponed it because the, the coronavirus absolutely changed our conclusions in the Miami report. Um, for example, now here comes some of the highlights to answer your question, Beth. And once again, we talked about this earlier. Let's talk about houses. Single-family homes in South Florida, they're on fire I mean, they, people are. We're, we're noticing what you're noticing. Um, related ISG Compass. It doesn't matter who, which company it is. We're, we're seeing houses sell at 95 to 100 percent of list price. We're seeing what you what you just said. We're selling at a much faster pace than new listings are entering the market. We're seeing single single family home inventory start to drop, fueled in part by super low mortgage rates, historically low rates, as you know. Um, and, I, and I, we've all concluded it's for, two, it's for one reason, two words, social distancing. This corona thing is going to linger for a while, whether we like it or not. If we want to live in a realistic, practical world, at least that's the advice I'm giving my children all the time. And when you have a house, you can then, at social distancing very easily. That's why they're selling so well. And if you have a swimming pool, and God, and God willing, a barbecue pit at that house, you've got amenities that make that house very valuable. Um, there are a lot of people beth in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area that believe that this coming winter there could be a second wave of this covid assuming we don't have a vaccine, just like what we just experienced here in Florida. Um, those folks are down here buying and renting, but mostly buying houses. So and they're and because they're preparing for this coming winter. And or here's the other the other side of that coin. They could be tax refugees that were planning on moving here anyway to escape the burden of the Tax Reform Act of 2017 and COVID acted as an accelerator to move these people here sooner than later. But clearly one of the you know before COVID houses and condos were selling at like a 50-50 ratio, not anymore. 80% of, our transac- of all transactions, right, re- residential trans- transactions, Palm Beach County, Fort Lauderdale, Broward County, Miami-Dade County, 80% since January of this year are single family houses. That stat by itself should tell everybody who's listening to this everything they need to know about how popular houses are in a COVID world. Um, that's number one. Number two, a second conclusion. We talked about the high U.S. dollar a short while ago. This Miami's different than, say, New York. In New York City, if a condo developer wants to build a condominium, he gets his plans approved, and he starts building. And they sell the condos while the building is under construction. Well, it's not like that in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. Here, developers um, are required to reach a pre-sale requirement by their construction lenders. What does that mean? That means we have to sell 50 to 60% of all the units in a given building Before the construction lender will close on a construction loan. Okay. Well, we're not building 20 or 30-story buildings in Miami and Fort Lauderdale anymore. They're 50 stories, 60 stories, 80 stories. Developers are packing these buildings with lots of condos. So it takes a couple of years to just get to the pre-sale requirement. And then it takes about three years to build these buildings. Well, the natural market for pre-sales in Miami is Latin America not americans beth i can't i can't sell beth butler a condo and say beth you're going to buy this pre-construction you're getting in on the very first price we call price level one and you'll be able to move in in five years you're going to like what i don't wait five years for anything what do you have in standing inventory that is the typical american attitude latin americans ooh, very different they love pre-construction Because understand, they're planning, most of them are planning eventually to move to the United States. They need that time to plan that gigantic relocation. So pre-construction is perfect. Well, the problem, though, is the U.S. dollar went up in value a couple years ago. Developers couldn't get the money out of Latin America because that money was way too expensive. So developers haven't started any new condos here for the last couple of years in any substantial quantity. So
0: sorry for that story, but it... no, it's okay. Cause you're leading right into the next question, which is when do you think the next cycle will be? Okay, good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's my pleasure, Beth Butler. Well, it also goes to one of the other conclusions. There's no new developer inventory in Miami. We are at an all time low of developer supply in Miami and in Fort Lauderdale. We haven't started anything in the last couple of years. We're certainly not starting anything in the Corona year of 2020. So hopefully, God willing, developers will start pre-sales in 2021. Hopefully they'll start pre-sales in 2021. Give it two years for them to reach their pre-sale targets. They'll hit their pre-sale targets in 2023. Now, give it three years for construction. You're going to be delivering substantial quantity of units by the year 2026. So what did we conclude in this year's Miami report? Despite what anybody may think about Miami supply, particularly with condos, a lot of people are stuck in 12 year old data or, or 12 month old data or 24 month old data. Uh, the world's changed. We, we are running super low in supply here. Um, I suspect that a year from now, The the slight overhang of condo developer inventory, which is about 1,600 units, will be absorbed. And then the only place people can buy condos for living in right away will be be MLS. Let me put it in a slightly different perspective. From the year 2002 to the year 2008, called the 2000s, between Miami, Miami Beach, and Fort Lauderdale, Developers built 35,000 condos. 35,000, that's a lot. That's like even way too much. In this last decade, same geography, we built 20,000 condos. Coconut Grove to the south, Fort Lauderdale to the north, including all of the beaches. We're going into this decade with less than 500 condos in the developer pipeline. We have a supply shock Problem: We don't have enough to just meet the population growth of, um, of South Florida. So one of our, uh, and I'll get into that conclusion in a second if, if you'd like me to, but the one of the giant conclusions of this year's Miami report, it was, number one, how single-family home inventory is shrinking fast. Prices are already starting to inch up. Condo inventory, that's where the buying opportunity is. You've got about a year to 18 months to Take advantage of that, because the slight overhang of developer inventory from the twenty thousand condos that got built in this past decade won't last very long, particularly those condos with strict rental policies where social distancing is sort of easy to manage um, compared to short term rentals. So you're looking at the next four to five years of just of 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 simply resales because you're not going to be able to sell anybody a condo that that they can move into until the year 2026. Beth, once again, in substantial numbers, we built 20,000 condos in the last decade. We got less than 500 going into this decade. We don't have enough supply. We don't have enough to fill the pipeline. And in part, when I, I just said, just to meet domestic demand, forget about Latin America. If the dollar devalues, you're gonna see the Latin market come back, that's great. But what about domestic demand? Well, you know, That's a whole other story. That's another conclusion we made in in this Miami report for everybody to read. Which was, which if if you'd like, I can get into that. I mean, it's, it's not that long of a story, but you know, President Trump made sure he got that Tax Reform Act of 2017 done in 2017, and it heavily taxes states like California to the west, in the Northeast, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey. Connecticut. It's way too expensive to live up there now. So a lot of those folks are relocating to either Texas or Florida. Illinois is another state. It's getting, it's getting clobbered with Texas now. Florida is the number one state where pe- the people are moving out of Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. The first state that they, they look to is Florida. So the domestic migration Florida's been enjoying since 2017 is over 900 people every single day. Now, that's through last year. Beth, that is not going to sustain itself this year, in part because we've been in quarantine. So a lot of people are not moving. They've just been hunkered down. But eventually, Corona's going to go away or it's going to get c- controlled, contained. There's going to be a vaccine, whatever. Eventually, everybody believes that. And then the relocation is going to resume. So when you match domestic population growth, because that 900 a day makes Florida the second fastest growing state population-wise in the United States, right behind Texas. Texas grew in 19 by 1,100 people a day, Florida by 950, and number three was like Arizona at like 300 people a day. So the big two, Texas and Florida, they deserve to be the big two. We're growing like crazy. Developers need to... Build housing. And I'm talking about condos and single-family homes. (coughs) Developers, (coughs) excuse me, of single-family homes can barely keep up. Condo developers haven't started anything, and that's in large part because of the underwriting guidelines of construction lenders. So um, long story short, long, long story short, one of the big conclusions of this year's Miami report is a year from now, expect prices of condos. And single family homes to begin appreciating at a much faster rate than you can possibly anticipate in, you know, in August of 2020, simply because we are running very short on supply and people keep coming here. So that was another very big conclusion. And, you know, Beth, so much of this is being underscored by the lowest mortgage rates in your career, my career. I never thought I'd see 30-year fixed-rate loans below 3%. Like ever, never, ever, never, ever. And that's fueling a lot of buying activity. A lot of people that were thinking about renting, for example, are homeowners now because, hell, it costs the same amount of money to own than it does to rent. And I own something. And if it should appreciate in value, wow, did I make a good move. And that that attitude is starting. you're You're seeing it and I'm seeing it. Every realtor is seeing it here in South Florida. A lot of folks that two or three years ago were committed tenants, committed renters forever, they're shifting to homeowners again, simply because of the low cost
0: of of mortgage financing. So let me ask you just a side question from that. I, I thought about it when I read the report and remind again. So seeing that there is going to be a shortage and there's going to be a shortage for quite some time because of what you said, right? The new cycle's going to take a lot longer. Pre-development is, is is a longer part of the process. So yeah, 2026, before we have anything ready to move into, do we see condo conversions coming? Do you think some of these big rental buildings are likely to convert?
1: That's an excellent question. And I, and that's exactly where it's going to go, because it seems like that's where it does want to go. There's an awful lot of, um, of multifamily projects that got built. As you know, like in downtown Fort Lauderdale, there's over 4,000 rental units that have been... So it does make sense that a lot of those multifamily projects will convert to condo. It does make sense. Um, You might have to upgrade the kitchens and baths, but yes, because there's going to be, there's going to be, I think, as much, if not more demand for people that want to buy versus rent. So if you're a multifamily developer, why not cash out? Um, So yes, condo conversions will probably become the soup du jour In the next two to three years, um, in order just to satisfy that home ownership thirst. So yes, I completely agree. That's, that's the natural place for, for, for the, for things to go.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it it seems like we've got the standing inventory uh, that conversions are going to come back in 2021, 2022, which is great. Listen, I had more fun selling condo conversions than a lot of things I've done in my career. So I look forward to the condo conversions coming back. I think they're fast, they're fun. It's an interesting and unique part of the market that doesn't come around all the time. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, what do you think overall has been the impact of COVID on the sale of new condos? I mean, do you, you know, people talk about design changes, different things? Like you're sitting in Brickell City Center, what are you seeing from buyers? I know traffic has been a challenge, but we're still selling. So, so just talk us through how you think this uh, this Corona COVID situation is impacting the sale of condos.
1: Well, I think it's uh, first of all we're watching how it shifted so much buying demand into single family houses. So that, that it, it, and that's strictly, once again, in my opinion, because of social distancing. What's happening, it's just starting to happen. So we're at the very, very early stages of this. But you're starting to see the price of houses starting to get inch up a little bit. So buyers of real estate are now starting to ask about condos. But condos with strict rental policies are going to be a lot more popular than condos with these short-term rentals. Strict For the same reason, Beth, because of because of your ability to manage social distancing. I live in a condo, for example, in Sunny Isles Beach, where you're only allowed to rent once a year. And there's a tenant screening committee and so on and so forth. And I'll tell you, the condo association does a very good job of, of managing that. But more than that, we, we treat each other with tremendous respect. Um, you don't see elevators get crowded anymore. Uh, you'll wait for the next elevator because you want to... Respect everyone's health, so I think that condos are going to become a little more are going to start getting popular again.
0: But once again, condos with strict rental policies that are well managed. And what about design? Like, are they bigger? Are bigger ones selling as opposed to smaller ones? I've seen a little bit of that sort of anecdotally. Have you? I've seen bigger units are selling faster than the smaller units.
1: Ten years. The answer is yes. I'll give you an example. Forget anecdotal. I'll give you a, a real factual example 10 years ago one and one bedrooms and small two bedrooms sold like hotcakes in brickle in the brickle neighborhood downtown living in in Miami you know the the blue chip neighborhood of downtown today they're very one bedrooms are hard to sell i don't get one bedroom buyers walking in here i get two and three bedroom buyers all day long now why is that well number one you got a lot of families that are returning to the urban area and that was happening before COVID, And that's going on all over the world, not just in Miami. But number two, with interest rates so low, you, get a, you, can, you can afford a, a bigger house now with the same monthly payment. So, yes, I have noticed. And then add COVID to that, because if you get stuck having to quarantine again, you need a two- and three-bedroom apartment just to give yourself some space within your own immediate family, right? A one-bedroom doesn't do it. You start to scratch each other's eyes out a little bit. So when it comes to condominium living, no, no, no. I'm absolutely seeing, by the numbers, significantly more demand on two- and three-bedroom condos. And I'm just talking about in urban areas. The beach, they don't build one-bedroom condos. They haven't built one-bedroom condos on the beach in the last, for 20 years. So it's all big spaces, all. Now, what, do I see, what am I seeing in the form of design? Well, I'm hearing, because, look, COVID is still kind of new, but I'm hearing that some amenities are going to get retrofitted Um, Some public spaces that don't get used much may get uh, redesigned into homeschooling classrooms with separate cubicles so that mom or dad can take, you know, the child downstairs to the homeschooling amenity and lock yourself in a very comfortable room and do homeschooling in a separate area besides your apartment because the walls start closing in on the apartment. And these homeschooling and then it's a hell of an idea. And I, I, wish I, I wish I came up with it myself, but I've, I've been reading about it and talking to architects about it because they're getting called by condo associations asking them to come in and redesign certain rooms. I get asked a lot about, are apartments going to get designed with offices? No, no, we call those three bedroom apartments. The third bedroom will become the office. And that's what's happening anyway.
0: Craig, take out your crystal ball. And assuming COVID ends, what does 2021 look like?
1: One is the year that the big players like Related, Spire, PMG, probably Margaret's group, Terra, they start pre-construction of new condominium projects again because they'll, these, these developers in Miami are smart guys. They see the, If they see the window open for that opportunity and if COVID dies and the dollar devalues, they'll see that opening and they'll take advantage of it. You're also going to see a continued reduction in the Tight supply of single-family houses, even if COVID ends. Because um, it's not going to end then. It'll just kind of get contained, I guess, I think is a more practical way of looking at it. you are going to see prices of houses go, I think, appreciate substantially. Um, and Once again, fueled by these very low mortgage rates that are going to stay around for a while. So you're going to see 2021 looking a lot like 2012 when new construction where pre-sales of new condo projects started all over again.
0: Start all over, Latin America returns because of the slight devaluation of the dollar, low interest rates of the domestic market. So it sounds to me like 2021, 2022 should be great years for Miami real estate.
1: Very much depends on getting this COVID under control.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. All right, Craig, let's go to the lightning round. This podcast is called From the Ground Up. So we close with a lightning round of questions so we get to learn about you and how you grew up from the ground up. Where were you born?
1: Uh, Newark, New Jersey.
0: And your birth order?
1: I'm a tw- I have a twin. Uh, I'm my, I have an older brother. I have a twin sister, but I'm four minutes older than my twin sister.
0: What's your academic background? Uh, majored in accounting. Who was your best teacher?
1: My name, Doctor Nurse. He was my, uh, <laughs> my he was my calculus teacher. Phenomenal teacher.
0: <laughs> you already said you man you majored in, in in accounting. What was your first job like in life? Not after college, but in life. What was your first job?
1: At a golf course at 14 years of age. That's how I got into golf.
0: You were a, a, a golf caddy. That's a great that's a great first job. Who do you consider your best mentor?
1: Between Tom Daly. And a man named Emmett Logan.
0: Where do you live and what do you like best about your home?
1: House Beach in a condo called Ocean 2. And what I love best is the fact that I'm on the beach.
0: Yeah, who doesn't love that? What's your favorite vacation spot when you get a chance to go?
1: I love to play golf at Pebble Beach.
0: What an amazing place. Uh, what's your morning routine?
1: Um, sweat to the oldies. Uh, get my, it's a good way to get my old engine revved up and get it started.
0: What do you consider your biggest failure, best success?
1: have to be my I've been divorced twice those are they those are on some level failures and they hurt um so you know my my best success has to be the way my children turned out they're fantastic people they're young adults they're uh they're parents um and um incredibly delightful people
0: I agree okay and finally what's been your favorite part of quarantine
1: I got, I, you know, I got bored of watching television, and so I, I got caught up on some, on some reading. I finished a book called *Sapiens*, which was a fabulous book um, that my sister gave me. So I think it kind of got me back into reading again. Like, like Beth, how many you You read lots of emails all day long. So do I. I got tired of reading books because I got just tired of reading. But during, during, uh, you know, during quarantine, I just picked up a couple of books and enjoyed it again.
0: Yeah, I, I switched to audiobooks and I got to tell you, I'm, I've, I'm probably listening now to probably two books a week and it, really enjoying connecting with reading again. Okay, last question, Craig. Where can people find you? I uh, always put in the show notes if somebody wants to reach out to you, email, cell phone, let us know the best way for people to, to reach you.
1: Craig, Craig S, as in Studnicki, isgworld.com. Um, that's the best place. Or you can go on my instagram which it's craig studnicki at instagram
0: perfect thank you so much craig thank you so much for your time and insight into the market and sharing your highlights Um, the summer miami report we we really enjoyed it and i can't thank you enough for putting the time forward to help share what you know
1: thank you so much appreciate it very much see you
0: This episode of From the Ground Up was sponsored by Feather the Nest, the crowdfunding source for all of your real estate needs. Why register for silverware when you can start your way to owning or renting your own home? Please sign up for your nest at www.featherthenest.com. A special thanks to my extraordinary producer, Sohail Fazludin, who has made this podcast possible.